Chapter 1 When I look over my case notes, I find that the early weeks of the year 1885 are prominently recorded as having been nearly devoid of those little problems which so fascinated my friend Sherlock Holmes. However, there began in that year a series of cases which quickly proved to be of the most fantastic and unbelievable nature, to the extent that I hesitate to write them down for fear that my sanity will be put in question. To my friend Sherlock Holmes and myself, these all began with the tragedy surrounding the case of the disappearance of the Nautilus submarine plans. Though this proved to be merely a prelude, and that comparatively humble, to a sea of bizarre happenings, which fully occupied our time and energies for many months to follow, and which taxed even my friend's singular powers to their very limits. I've been constrained not to publish any account of this case and its strange sequels, for deep political intrigues were involved, and woven through the seams, lengthwise and cross, were state secrets of most sensitive importance. Indeed, though I cannot ever hope to thrill a long-suffering public with even a modest disclosure of that strange series of events, I feel compelled, nevertheless, to write a factual account of these cases in which my friend Holmes and I took part. And although these documents must afterwards be padlocked and sealed in my private journal, I pray that some day the knowledge I am about to disclose may be of beneficial service to some worthy soul. I awoke one dank February morning to find Sherlock Holmes standing fully dressed by the side of my bed. He was a late riser as a rule, and as the clock on the mantelpiece showed me that it was only a quarter past seven, I blinked up at him in some surprise, and perhaps just a little resentment, for I was myself regular in my habits. Very sorry to wake you up, Watson, said he, but it's the common lot this morning. Mrs. Hudson has been woken up. She retorted upon me and I on you. What is it then, a fire? No, a telegram from my sister Mycroft, which promises to be of exceptional interest. Mycroft never sends for me except in cases of the most baffling nature, and I thought you might rather accompany me. Certainly I would, cried I, leaping from my pillow and splashing my face from the basin in the corner. Excellent, then. Have some coffee before we go. I'll get my coat and start up the widow. I winced at the prospect. Holmes' enormous motorized bicycle, the widow-maker, was his pet hobby. And so enamored was he with its power and terrific capability for speed, he could not keep his enjoyment of the vehicle to himself. The widow-maker got its name from the engineer Holmes employed to help him build it. The engineer, a cankerous old man, but a genius with H2O2 steam engines, told Holmes that no good could come of such a machine. He called it a widow-maker because it would surely kill Holmes and leave his wife a widow. Holmes had laughed at that and said he had no intention of ever marrying, but he immediately fancied the name widow-maker, or widow for short, and has used it ever since. As I had shown great unwillingness to ride pillion on the monstrous machine, Holmes had contrived a marvellous sidecar in order that I might share in the excitement of the widow's adventurous sallies in what he called perfect safety. I had been flattered by this excessive kindness on my friend's part until about ten seconds had elapsed on my first ride in the widow's sidecar. In defence of my own courage, I had been shot at, stabbed, and seen my own arm torn from my body upon the hostile battlefields of India and Afghanistan, 
and yet none of those terrors compare, in my estimation, with that of driving through London with Holmes at the helm. After that momentous and traumatising inaugural ride, my mistrust of the vehicle had grown to a positive terror, less for the vehicle's sake than for my friend's tempestuous and unbelievably reckless driving skills. This morning my mechanical arm felt clumsier than usual as I shaved and dressed and gulped down my coffee and a scone. I scraped my brains for an argument which might dissuade Holmes from driving the widow to the appointment with his sister. Holmes was already seated expectantly upon the machine, wearing driving gloves and goggles, when I descended into the basement garage. Resolutely, I shouted over the rumbling din of the widow's powerful motor, Couldn't we take a cab, Holmes? Holmes shook his head. Too slow, he said, handing me my helmet. I sighed and tried again. The train, then. I really must confess, Holmes, I'm feeling a trifle under the weather today.